You can turn your Bibles to Second Peter. We will be continuing our series this morning in Peter's second letter, and this will be the second message in the series. Last week, if you recall, uh, we were looking at this letter as a whole in our introductory message that Mike preached last week. And we saw that Peter is very concerned about the false teaching that is prevalent in this area of churches that he's writing to. In fact, he is so concerned that he is going to spend all of chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3 talking about them. He is going to be very clear that these false teachers do not know the truth. Even if at first it seems like they do. Don't fall for it. They are filled with sinful desires and seek to lead others astray. But you, Peter stresses, you must not be like them. You must stand firm in the faith, living godly lives. So the question now is, how? How are we who live in a world full of false teaching and ungodliness to live in a way that is pleasing to God? In short, Peter's answer is grow. Grow in knowledge and godliness. We also saw this last week in our purpose statement. We said, Peter stirs us to grow in the knowledge and godliness of Jesus so that we'll escape the destructive end of false teaching and enter Christ's kingdom on the day of the Lord. We as Christians must be continually growing in the knowledge and godliness of Jesus so that, as Peter says, we will not fall. Now that sounds like a lot of pressure to put on someone, doesn't it? You either grow or you will fall. Peter knows that pressure and he knows it by experience. Out of all the disciples Jesus had, Peter is probably the most well-known. He was always overestimating himself and underestimating his sinfulness. And in this letter, he wants to make sure that you understand that if you put your trust in your own power, you will fail. That's why the first three words in verse 3 are His divine power, not yours. In essence, what we are going to see this morning is that what God requires of you, which is godliness, He provides for you through the Gospel. So look with me as we again read these verses and then go to the Lord in prayer. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, 
by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Father, as we come before Your Word now, these very great promises that Peter has written to us, I ask that You would help us that You would help us to see that everything that You require of us, which is godliness, You provide for us in the Gospel. I pray that all of our tendency to, to trust in ourselves at this moment would be crushed and that we would be looking to Jesus. I pray that Your promises would be known with, with power, with understanding, and that it would result in not only knowing ourselves better, but knowing the Lord Jesus Christ better. May we be humbled, and at the same time, may we be exalted because we come to know who we truly are in Christ. What You have truly done for us in Him. Exalted in that godly way. It's in these things that I ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin, the first thing I want you to see in these verses is the goal that flows through them. Because if you can see the goal, you will be able to see clearly what Peter is trying to show us by cramming promise after promise after promise together. And man, does he have them crammed in here. So the goal we see in verse 3, where he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Life and godliness is the goal. It is what connects all these promises together. And just so you know, you'll need to keep this in mind because when we get down to verse 4, where Peter talks about partaking in the divine nature, Life and godliness is the key to understanding what this means. Keep that in mind. So, life and godliness is the goal. It is the goal because it is what sets us as Christians apart from the many false teachers that we'll see in the coming chapters, in chapters 2 to 3, who don't have it. These false teachers don't have this. They do not have life and they are not godly. The so-called life and godliness they have is shallow. It is worldly. It is something they try to put on with their own strength. The life and godliness we're called to, however, has been granted to us by God's divine power. It is a gift. Like we talked about last week when we were looking at what it means to obtain our faith. It is because of God's sovereignty over all things. He enables us to have faith as He also grants us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And the next thing that Peter says, what we see, all of this comes through knowing Jesus. It is only through knowing Jesus that you can experience this life and godliness. And we don't only see this here, but this is 
proclaimed throughout all of the Bible. One instance is in John chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, where Jesus Himself says this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you want to know life and godliness, then you better know Jesus. The question now is, what does this knowledge look like? Is it a knowledge that comes through right doctrine, studying the Bible? Or is it a knowledge that comes through having a relationship with Him? The answer is that we must have both. To truly know Jesus means knowing Him, how He has been revealed in His Word, and also having a personal relationship with Him. Whenever I was going through this part of the passage, it made me think about a few years ago when I worked at this place and I came to know pretty well the people that I worked with. Uh, they were enjoyable, enjoyable to be around. I enjoyed working with them. I enjoyed getting to know them. But the more that I got to know them, the more I saw the, the preachers that they listened to. Uh, the teaching that they were immersed in, and the conversations we would have ended up bringing about uh, conversations of who I listen to versus who they listen to. What kind of pastors do I like? What do you listen to? And there was disagreement because it became well known that these people they listened to were false teachers. They did not preach the true gospel. And so, this led to me being very concerned about it and ended up having to say something about it. At first, I was, you know what you do whenever you get in a conversation like this? You just kind of sit there and, you know, nod your head and you're thinking back in your mind, please don't make me answer. Please don't make me answer. Well, that point came and I had to answer. And so I gave my answer and they didn't like it. And I did all of this in love, not to bash people. I mean, the point is never to uh, bash what they were immersed in. You don't want to run them away. You want to help them see the truth. You want to help them to know it. And so that's what I tried to do. Their view of God was that He is a God of love. And that is true. But He is not only loving. He is a God who cares about truth. And He wants you to know His Son is truth. How He has been made known in His Word. Because if you don't know Jesus, how He has been revealed in His Word, then you don't know Him at all. The Jesus that you supposedly know is a figment of your imagination. Somebody you've made up. He's a Jesus that makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside, maybe. He accepts you for who you are. And He doesn't really ask you to change. And so, as we began talking back and forth, they began to see me as a person who was all about doctrine. You know, you have to know stuff about Jesus. You have to be right. 
And to be fair, I may have came across in that way. That was never my intention, but being concerned like I was, I probably did come across in that way. But the point of that story is, is that you must have both. In order to know Jesus and to know Him rightly, you must know Him in His Word, and you must have a relationship with Him. The point of theology, you could say, which is studying God, knowing Him, is that you have doxology, which means praises to God. You know Him rightly, and you enjoy Him, and it makes you sing. It makes you delight in Him. So to them, I was on the side of theology, and they were on the side of doxology. But you need both. Both must come together. It is only when you know Jesus in both of these ways that you can truly know Him and enjoy Him. And if you know Him truly, it means that you have been called to His glory and excellence. What Peter says next. To see it. To delight in it. And because of what Peter is saying in these verses, receive all the precious and very great promises of God because of it. Because Jesus is glorious and excellent, in every way, every promise God has ever made to His people is yours. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is, in Jesus. He is the one who provided a way back to the presence of God that was lost in Genesis 3 because of sin and rebellion. A rebellion that had at its heart a desire to be God. That's what Adam and Eve essentially said when they ate the fruit. I will be God. I will define what is good and what is evil. Not God. I will do what I want to do. Because of this, they were then separated from God cutting themselves off from true life and godliness. That's a hint. We're, we're coming to see how life and godliness ties all this together. So they were separated from God, cutting themselves off from true life and godliness, therefore becoming enslaved to sin and death. Like the rest of mankind also. Because we're just like them. We are enslaved by the very same sin and death that they did in the beginning. We are bent in on ourselves. We are all about us, defining things how we want to define them. It is that sin and death that Jesus proclaimed victory over in His life, death, and resurrection. It is that accomplishment that all the Bible hinges on. The Old Testament, looking forward to it. The New Testament, looking back at it and explaining it. Promise after promise, all accomplished in Jesus. And we could say that the sum of those promises, the core of all these promises, is that we will become partakers of the divine nature. What was lost in Genesis 3 is being restored to us in Jesus. Now here's where 
Life and godliness ties all of these things together. Remember what I said earlier about Adam and Eve and their rebellion. I said that when they rebelled, they cut themselves off from God. And in cutting themselves off from God, they therefore cut themselves off from life and godliness. The life and godliness that we are called to in verse 3. This is what Peter is calling us to have. The life and godliness that was lost in the beginning. So, what that means is that God, through what Jesus has accomplished, has provided the way back to what was lost in the beginning. You are being made in the image of Jesus so that you are able to take part in the life and godliness you were always meant to have. This is the purpose of, well, everything. All creation is working towards this purpose. Paul talks about it in Romans 8, verse 28, where he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Now, what's His purpose? What's the purpose that He's referring to here? For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be, here's the purpose, conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might become the firstborn among many brothers. This is what everything is working towards. This is honestly why God has given you life in the first place. He has given you life. The life you have now, the very breath that you are breathing right now, so that you may know Him through Jesus and be conformed into the image of His Son. To be the image bearer that you were always supposed to be. In Genesis 1, where He created everything and He said it is good. It is very good. And then sin entered in the world. And it was marred. Adam and Eve said, I will be God. And that image was destroyed. And since then, He has been working throughout what we see in the Bible to make all of that right again, to restore it. That's what it means to partake in the divine nature. You are being conformed into the image of Jesus. Once again able to have communion with God and reflect Him. You don't become God or even a little God. That's blasphemy. That's what got Adam and Eve kicked out in the first place. They said, I will be God. And believe it or not, there are people who believe that and teach it. You are becoming God. You will be a little God. Have your own world, your own creation. It's what Mormonism is. God at one point was like us and He attained Godness. That is... I really... There's a lot of things that I could say about what that is. <laughs> but it's... It's crap, honestly. It's what it is. It's, it's heresy. It's heretical. 
And I don't want to talk about too much about that because we're going to get in a lot of that whenever we get into chapters two and three. What this, what false teachers are like, what their teaching is like, what their lives are filled in. And I didn't say that to be funny. I know it is funny, but it is so true because people believe that. So please, even though it's kind of a jokingly matter because of the ignorance that people have, it is is so serious. And this is why it is so important to know your Bible. This is why it is so important that you are immersed in the Scriptures so that you know things like this, so that you don't become swept away by teachings like that. I mean, that teaching is kind of plain and simple, really. I mean, as soon as somebody says you're becoming God, you you write that off. But then you have people that are a little bit more crafty with how they go about teaching things. And if you are not firm in the Word of God, they will sweep you away. What we've been talking about for the last uh, few minutes or so is something that you can see throughout the whole Bible. It's what we could say is the theme that connects it all together. Uh, The guys and myself on Wednesday nights have been going through this. It's called, uh, we've been going through a study that's like this, talking about the themes of the Bible. It's called The God Who Is There with D.A. Carson. And what he is doing is he is tracing the central themes, you could say, are the backbone of Scripture. Everything is attached to this backbone that flows through it all. And it's what we're talking about. In the beginning, God created everything. He said it was good. Adam and Eve sinned. They fell. We fell along with them. But even at the start, he says, I will make it right in Genesis 3.15. As soon as the fall happens, he said, I'm going to make all things new. The woman's going to bear a son one day, and he is going to crush the serpent's head, although he bruises his heel. That was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was to do in the future. And then throughout the whole Old Testament, we see God again making promises to Abraham. And you see it a little bit better. Then he makes promises to David. You see it a little bit better. And then the prophets come. You see it a little bit better. Then Jesus comes and it comes together. He accomplishes it all. He restores all things. In part now, in fruition, in consummation then. This is your sole purpose, Christian. To know God and to reflect Him through being made in the image of Jesus. We see this explanation furthered in what Peter says next. At the end of verse 4, he says, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Here we have the opposite of partaking in the divine nature, which is corruption. Death, decay, that is in the world because of sinful desire. The same sinful desire, once again, that was in Genesis 3. The sinful desire that had at its heart, I want to be God. I am bent in 
on myself. I want what I desire. And I want to have it how I would like to have it. I don't want God impeding on what I want to do. No thank you. That's what he says. That's what they said, excuse me. And this is a sinful desire that the false teachers have that Peter's going to talk about in chapters 2 and 3. Their sinful desire has at its core the same heart. They want to define good and evil. And ultimately, it is what they are going to face. The, the corruption that we see in this verse. The death, the, the, the decay. That's what they're going to face. They are on their way to death and decay because of their sinful desires. You, however, have escaped these things because of what God has done in Jesus. Peter, when he talks about uh, these false teachers and where they're headed, he's going to use a few times the phrase gloomy darkness. Either gloomy darkness or darkness. He loves to use this language. And I think it's because uh, we were talking about earlier how this is your sole purpose. You know, you are to be made in the image of Jesus so you can become the image bearer you are always made to be. Penny said this this morning in Sunday school. We were talking about lost people and how they don't know their purpose, so they try to find it in other things. Can you imagine for all eternity being in a place that you have no purpose whatsoever? Along with all of the horrific things that the Bible says about hell. That's what hell is. It is a place who have, where people have rejected their purpose, who they are to be in Christ. They have rejected, and so God gives them what they want. You don't want me? Then have darkness. Have nothing. Have an eternity of being consumed with yourself. That is what is so horrific about hell. Not that it's just a bunch of flames and a bunch of fire. You're consumed with sinful desire. That's what makes it so horrific and so bad. And I don't mean to say those things to, to scare you, to be scared into faith. You can't be scared into faith. But I want you to know that so you can know your purpose. The very purpose that God has for every one of you. Not just those who are here, but every person all throughout the world. We were singing earlier, may the peoples praise you. Talking about God. They are able to praise God because this truth is for all people. Whether you are white, whether you are black, whether you are Hispanic or Asian, whatever, the truth goes throughout all the world. It is all of their purpose to image God through knowing Jesus and being like Him. We as Christians have escaped this horrificness because of what God has done in Jesus. That's why the next words we see in verse 5, and I don't want to get too much into this because this is what Mike is going to be getting into next week. This is why Peter says, 
in verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort. Because God has provided everything you need for life and godliness through Jesus, you therefore make every effort. And then we're going to see the long list of the characteristics of godliness, what it looks like to know God, what it looks like to be a Christian, what it looks like to reflect Him. And then the new creation have all of those things perfectly. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he told them something similar to what we see here. He wrote to the Philippians, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You work because God has first done a work in you. That's what Peter is telling us in verses 3 and 4. We could also say that it's like this. I'll use an illustration. It's like God has prepared a feast. And in preparing that feast, He has gone out into the field, He has planted the seed, He has grown the crop, He has harvested the crop. He has brought it in. He has prepared it. He has cooked it. And He has set the table. Everything is there. And then He calls you to it. To sit down and eat of it. He gives you the desire to want it. Because beforehand, you didn't want to be there. I want to be anywhere else except for in the presence of God at His feast. But He calls you. He changes your desires. He gives you the desire to to love Him, to delight in Him. And with that, He says, sit and eat. Grow. Be conformed into the image of My Son so that you can one day in the new heavens, in the new earth, image me like you were always supposed to. I go back to the statement that I made earlier in my sermon. Everything that God requires of you, He has provided for you in Jesus. Now grow in Him. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the wonderful promises that we were able to look at this morning. How Peter, and going through this letter, uh, the pressure of, of growing in godliness to, to resist all of the sometimes attractive false teaching in the world. To resist it. How are we to resist it? Peter gives us the answer here. He says what you have done for us. He calls us to look at Jesus and what you have accomplished in Him. So now I ask that your people would know it. That you would crush their tendencies to look in at themselves, to think that they have to do something, uh, to be worthy, uh, to attain this 
this godliness in and of themselves, I pray that that would be crushed and I pray that they would be looking to the gospel, what Jesus has done for them. May we be humbled this morning by your word. May we be encouraged by it. May we be strengthened. And for those who may not know it, may you pierce their hearts with it. May they see that without this truth, they are purposeless. They have lost their purpose if they forsake these things. May they see them clearly. And may you do a great work, not only here this morning, but all over the world as your word is proclaimed in power through the Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.